Welcome to episode 181 of the Nerds Travaganza podcast. I'm Tom. I'm Brian. I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. This week, we're pleased to welcome writer, editor, game designer, and general geek, Shauna Germain, for a discussion on cross-industry endeavors. Welcome, Shauna. Thanks. Thanks for having me. But before we begin the episode, I should mention... Listeners, you better check us out on iTunes. It's important to us, and uh, we really would appreciate your likes, favorable reviews. Not likes. What do you do? You do stars and favorable reviews on... Rate, comment, subscribe. There you go. Brian put it a lot more succinctly. Do those things. If you don't, we'll cry. It will change your life. (laughs) Right. It'll change ours, so thank you in advance. And with that out of the way, I think we can kick the episode off in our traditional style with our weekly, geekly, geekly, weekly update... Chris, why don't you lead the way, show Shana how it's done, and then we'll have her uh, come in in the middle of a pack. I discovered two new web comics, Girl Genius and then Ogloff. You discovered Girl Genius? Yes. That's been running a while, hasn't it? That's like right up your alley. I'm amazed. Hey, I got a lot to catch up on, and I'm loving it. (laughs) Better late than never. Yeah, exactly. That's one of those things. I never mentioned it to you because I just assumed you would be all over that. Wow. I am embarrassed. I apologize. See, this is why we geeks need to talk. You can't assume things. Uh, I'm also catching up on Ogloff, which um, if you're at work, don't check out this comic. It is not safe <laughs> for work. It is funny as heck. It's irrelevant. It's um, also sometimes awkward, but uh, it is a fun web comic. Just like I said, it's not safe for work. Um, I've been catching up on my Shield and my Flash TV shows. Uh, they're pretty cool, doing good, especially Flash. And then um, as a slight digression, how many of you guys remember Bob Ross from those old PBS shows? Happy yes. Tree, happy Tree guy, right? The Happy Tree dude, right. Yeah. It, they put all of his stuff on YouTube. That's so so I've nice. Been, I've been checking it out. Uh, yeah, you're the ultimate geek, right? The guy was always with the big fro and the glasses and – always very quietly spoken and it's really awesome in that he only uses just like five or six colors he only uses like three brushes and like a spatula you can get at a hardware shop and he creates some pretty decent art and he just uses this certain technique to my uncultured eye i think he should have some stuff up there in a museum for his skill but you know i am not of the art world what do i know that guy has an effect of putting me to sleep and not because he's boring. He's just very like relaxing. So uh, that might replace <laughs> that might replace foot massage videos as the way I fall asleep at night when I uh, am having insomnia. <laughs> it's a whole thing that I won't get into. OK, Chris, with that done, I think it's time to get off the topic of foot massage videos and over to Cam. Well, my weekend was dominated mostly by Animate, the anime slash scattershot convention that's uh down here in south florida every year um it was great uh, i ran the doctor who panels and uh did some other things for the con there it was uh it was a good time very well attended uh very well liked it was uh, it was a great time um that was most of my weekend on saturday at the Adventure Game Store, we had uh, the Coup Rebellion and One Night Revolution demo, uh, tabletop get- demo, which was awesome. And that is it. I mean, really for the weekend. But last week, though, I, I would be remiss in stating if I didn't state that last week was Back to the Future Day on the 21st, which was one of my favorite days in a long time. Wore my Save the Clock Tower t-shirt and sat on the internet like millions of others, hoping and praying that the Self-lacing Nikes would be made available for sale by Nike, but they were not, sadly. 
And that's it. I, I'm Chris, you mentioned some TV shows. I'm also watching those as well, but I, my DVR is just getting stacked up. And so I'm going to make a commitment to you all that I'm going to watch all of the back episodes that I have sitting on my DVR of The Leftovers, Heroes Reborn, Gotham. Um, the only show that I'm really caught up on is Doctor Who, just because I have to be. But um, other than that, uh, I'm making that commitment to you guys that I'm going to watch all the binge watch all those shows this week. Uh, there's too much entertainment to keep up with nowadays, which is yeah. a good problem to have, but, uh, hmm. I wish so you luck. Stimuli. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Well, that's a pretty cool update. Glad you had fun at the convention and, uh, those stupid shoes are going to probably be like 1500 bucks. So, uh, that doesn't mean I won't get them, but, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wear them with, 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 with your pit boy and your, yeah. Your rock. Yeah. With all the other stupid crap I buy that, uh, <laughs> yeah, is worthless. <laughs> Anything else? That's it. All right, Shauna. That uh, is more or less how it's done. So over to you. Uh, this is pretty fun. I, I'm enjoying listening to everything. Um, so this week, um, I'm doing watching a scary movie every day to celebrate Halloween. Uh, kicked that off with Crimson Peak, uh, which I loved. And uh, today was The Shining, um, which is, of course, an old classic. And then there have been some movies in between there that have been not so not so great. <laughs> um, I'm reading uh, The Wicked and the Divine, the new omnibus. Um, and it, that's a comic that I absolutely adore. I think it's fantastic and, and different and weird. Um, of course, watching the Star Wars trailer about a million times and getting my yep. uh, tickets for that for the night of. <laughs> that was a big deal. Game wise, I play, I'm playing, um, Don't Starve, Elder Scrolls Online, and Witcher are kind of my three big games right now. Although tomorrow the Battleborn beta arrives, cool. and that is, I am on very that, cool. so I'm very excited about that too. Shauna, let me ask you, Nightmare Before Christmas, Halloween movie or Christmas movie? Oh, that's such a good question. I actually think it's a Halloween movie. Oh, me too. Good. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> the music is just such beautiful music. Definitely. It is indeed. Awesome. That was a, uh, that's a cool week by any measure. And, uh, <laughs> it's all work, quote work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's lovely. It's great work to have. <laughs> you got to get your inspirations from somewhere. Yeah. Right. I am, I am a sponge. Give me all the things. <laughs> that's my new approach to life. Look, I need this. I need all this stimulation. I just, I take all this in and at some point <laughs> creative output's got to just burst forth from my pores. Spontaneously happen. Right. 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 <laughs> Gee, somebody squeeze it out of me or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brian, uh, let's squeeze an update out of you, man. I had a pretty exciting weekend. I uh, I got my first case of bad sushi ever. That oh. was mm. thoroughly not something I ever hoped to eat again. <laughs> pretty much wiped me out for a few days. Uh, I did manage to make the Coup Revolution demo enjoyed that it's cool but the new roles are are, are fun and I, I like the the variety i've been woefully behind on comic books i uh god i missed like three issues of some star wars stuff and some darth vader and i didn't even know the new chewbacca stuff was out so i i went to pick that up tates i like tates but it's it's a bit of a hike for me so I, I have been looking at local places, really found one that clicked today. Very excited about that. Corka Comics is right around the corner from my place, kind of in my old childhood neighborhood. So they weren't there when I was a kid, but I still have those 
those kid memories of the area and they they had just everything that my weird taste enjoys uh, as opposed to some of the smaller ones that carry like Marvel and DC and that's it. So pretty excited about that. Tate's being the kind of premier comics outfit in the area. And you said Corka, is that how you pronounce it? Corka. Corka. Okay. Yeah. New find in the area. Cool. So if you're in the South Florida area and we know everybody eventually is, stop by. Anything else, Brian? I read really neat comic book, Black Magic, a tough, I guess she's a detective. I don't know. She showed up at a hostage negotiation, police officer slash witch wackiness ensues and she has to face i guess people who don't like her being a witch as a police officer and it's pretty interesting and i guess issue one is for sale now but they also have a really nice magazine sized issue one plus 20 pages of concept art and extra stories and pretty neat little thing that you can pick up right now if you're uh into you know not just another superhero comic like a proper potent witch or a crushed velvet dress and combat boots wearing pseudo Wiccan? Proper Wiccan witch, it, it looks like. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not an authority, but... I just described all the chicks Brian and I were into in high school there. That's why I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no offense to anybody that wears velvet. Uh, I just wish they made it for men. <laughs> it's very sweaty. Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it like, yeah. Uh, it can be. Yeah. Uh, bummer. Sorry. Yeah, well, crush my dreams. Crush the velvet. You know. <laughs> uh, Brian, that, does that conclude your update? That does. Okay, now I will bore you all with mine. I did my usual back to South Florida from Seattle by way of Disneyland and Disney World trip. And I dragged my companion with me, and she had a wonderful time, although she clearly doesn't benefit from the pixie dust as much as I do. She, by the end, was ready to... Get away from the Disney magic a little bit, I, I suspect. I wasn't, but uh, that was pretty awesome. Basically, between Disneyland and Disney World, we spent uh, Sunday to Saturday walking miles and miles in crowded theme parks, eating questionable food and riding rides. And uh, I can't think of any better way to spend my leisure time. Me neither. Yeah, thanks. Kind of a huge Disney fan. Uh, Shawna, you, you like Disney? Or are you? Uh... You know, I just went to Disney for the first time when I turned 40 two and so i came very late to disney but they had a star wars ride that was kind of amazing yeah i was a big fan of that nice yeah it really shocks me sometimes like i forget that not everyone has disney in their backyard <laughs> <laughs> yeah that um star wars ride is awesome and they, you know if you go on at the scenarios they put you through change uh if you can Oh, yeah, cool. so you won't necessarily see the same ones twice we got a whole new mix this time my my lady was uh pleased by that because we'd, so we'd gotten repeats before so she was she was enjoying that thoroughly speaking of disney i saw but did not buy the first edition of the new figment comic we'll probably end up picking that up if for no other reason than i read the comics out loud using voices which entertains me and thankfully also entertains my significant other <laughs> or at least she pretends it does I'm really, well, I'm really dragging her into this episode. I should just throw headphones on her at this point. Uh, <laughs> and uh, also got my tickets for Star Wars. While I was at Disney, I got a message from Fandango saying, hey, buy your tickets. And I proceeded to do that. So, Brian, your tickets are secured. Mine are secured. And we will be going opening night, which should be a blast. 
I hope. And uh, I've been assiduously avoiding that new trailer. I've decided I don't want anything else in the way of information until the movie comes out. So I'm avoiding trailers. I'm avoiding spoilers. I normally don't care about that stuff, but I just want to walk in and be surprised. So here's hoping. I'm most looking forward to it. I think it's going to redeem the franchise. How great is it now that pretty much everywhere you go, it's assigned seating? You don't have to fucking worry about getting there like, you know, hours in advance. You can just show up when you want and you got your seat and you're good to go. Uh, oh, it would be greater if I had assigned seating. <laughs> Brian, oh, I hope you don't? Oh, <laughs> man. Looks like we're showing up hours in advance, buddy. Oh, At God. least we didn't do the line again this year. Oh, yeah, that was terrible. We When the episode one came out, we camped out for tickets. We did the whole thing and uh, came away feeling a little bit like suckers. I still have no idea how I got roped into that. You weren't excited? Yeah, you were. Come on. All right. That was years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just let that one go. Uh, also, looking very much forward to checking out the new gaming pub opening up near me called Another Castle. It's in nearby Oakland Park, Florida. Again, we know everybody passes through this region, so stop in there and see me. We'll have a pint together. And uh, looking forward to playing the Nightmare Before Christmas Munchkin game. I have no familiarity with Munchkin, so I might hate it, but I'm going to swing by one of our gaming haunts. Well, our gaming haunt slash headquarters, the Adventure Game Store, and check that out probably this weekend. So to our thousands of listeners, do come by. I will be demoing it happily for all. There you go. That's one out of thousands. And that's it. That's my update. That's all I got. Which brings us to news. And I know there's been a lot going on in the world. I know you guys can't wait to share it. So, Chris, it's the new extravaganza, man. Hit us with some just stunning news. Scientists have recently improved an ion engine that hopefully can take us to Mars. They've been using ion engines to some degree already in like our satellites and stuff. But they only last for about 10,000 hours of use, and then they're kaput. And now they have found a way to basically make it almost all, how can I put this? Just by using magnetic fields, they've just taken every bit of what could be actual mechanical stuff out of the way of the propulsion area, and that seems to be very promising. So if this keeps up, we can hopefully have an engine we can use to Mars that's not a chemical-based engine, because as you guys know, Chemical engines, they're great for short term, but you can have fuel, fuel adds weight, and then it kind of becomes, you know, a return of investment question at some point. I know how we all love Kickstarter here. Fat Dragon Games, a company known for doing a lot of 3D paper terrain that you can get off drive through RPG and other places and download and put together to make an awesome dungeon for your role-playing game. Their Kickstarter they're doing is called Dragonlock, and basically when they're done, uh, you will be able to buy 3D print files that basically are Lego blocks for dungeons. They estimate that, you know, if you have a 3D printer and you use their files, a little L section that has a segment of floor and a segment of wall is going to be like 90 cents to produce. So I thought that was very cool. That is cool. Am I Am I understanding that that's basically easily assembled settings? Yeah, they have a whole little locking system. Like there's a little tab you click in. And then you can just you can actually build a whole wall that sticks together by itself and then hide it in the corner. So then when your uh, victims, <clears throat> I mean players, turn around the corner and they see there's, you know, where does that hallway go? You just can pull up your whole wall that you've, sorry, whole room that you pre-printed and they can walk right on into it. 
And then once you're done with it, you can break it all down and then reassemble it to something else. I like the wall better. I mean, that's a real downer for the party. You encounter a large wall. That's it. Not going anywhere. <laughs> End of the line, buddy. And um, just a little up note on the last one. IKEA is introducing a new line of toys uh, as part of a charity event they do that's based off children's drawings. I saw these and these, I, I might get a couple because they're just, a children's drawing just turned into a stuffed animal. There's like a, a dinosaur with like a cowboy hat. <laughs> just silly, goofy stuff like that that's, Looks very sweet. Like there's like an orange unicorn and the kid drew the legs so skinny that the legs are just actually strings and the actual plushie. Ikea, the furniture place? Yeah. They have huh. a whole the whole line of stuff for their, their kids section. I didn't know that. Actually, some of their toys, I've looked at them. They're quite inventive. Like there's one where you have grandma, but then you can turn grandma inside and out. And then it's the wolf. <laughs> it's oh. Just stuff like that. <laughs> Due to the cuteness of them and the cheapness of Ikea, I happen to have an army of plushy rats. <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you that. See, I knew it wasn't just me. The real question for me is if they're going to have pronounceable names. Mommy, I want the schlarge. The what? It's, it's, the, it's the thing with the stringy legs. No, it's going to be Cowboy Dinosaur. No, it's not. It's going to have a weird Scandinavian name that I can't pronounce. <laughs> Swedish worst cowboy dinosaur. Right. There, you go. there you go. All right, Camelito, you got some news, man? Yeah, let's start with some movie news. Uh, Marvel Phase 2 is coming out uh, with their Blu-ray set just in time for the holidays. Um, the amazing thing about this is that it's going to come with its own Infinity Stone, which looks pretty badass. Um, so add it to the useless junk that Tom and I will most likely accumulate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Harry Potter is, uh, having a live action play. Uh, it's going to be coming out next year. Uh, and apparently it is going to be an official sequel to the books. So wow. people are abuzz about that. Speaking of, uh, stuff that people are abuzz about fallout Four now has its own official beer. It's not released in the United States yet. It's only in the UK, but it will probably be released in the US uh, in conjunction with the release of the game. And it's uh, supposed, to, supposed to be pretty good. Um, I guess they couldn't do Nuka-Cola because it's pretty much a direct ripoff of Coca-Cola. <laughs> so they just went with, uh, went with beer. And let's see, uh, Chris, you mentioned Kickstarter. There is a new Kickstarter that's going to be launched pretty soon to develop a new full-length Dragon's Lair movie. You guys remember Dragon's Lair, oh, the old yeah, uh, yeah. video game? Yeah, LaserDisc game. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. So apparently the owner of that franchise, Don Bluth, is trying to uh, to uh, resurrect that franchise and make it into a full-length movie. That's about it for me. Oh, Supergirl is the highest-rated new show of the season. Woohoo! So nice. That's, that's pretty cool. And that rounds out my news. All right. Sean, are you a Fallout fan? I am. I actually am. I have pre-ordered the game with the Pip thing. And we'll see how that works. <laughs> yes. But I'm excited about it anyway. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's not. It's always good to run into somebody else who's acquiring more useless trinkets. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly, it's not useless, but we will see. Yeah. It's you, you know you you're supposed to be able to put your cell phone in it, right, and and actually use it as your controller. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought it had some interactive stuff with the game. Yeah, if you could. That would be awesome if you could control the game with it. We shall Super see. Killer. Anyway, it makes you look cool either way, right? <laughs> I suppose if you're in the right circles. <laughs> right. 
Uh, any news you'd like to report or uh, are you happy reacting? I was just trying to think of what I've learned this week. I am I am writing an underwater game this week. And so the, f- the, f- the news that I learned is that cockroaches can survive underwater for f- up to 15 minutes. Oh, God. That's gross. <laughs> And that they discovered a new, uh, a winged lizard dinosaur, the t- a new pterosaur, uh, that they haven't named yet. So I want to, I want to jump in and see if they will take any of my name recommendations. You should. <laughs> but that's really all I, all I learned this week. <laughs> but do you, do you actually have some names in mind that you can divulge or is it like top secret? No, I just, I, I actually don't. I just think it's so cool that, that someone out there is getting to name a dinosaur and, and I want to know how to get that job. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, I think uh, submit some names. Just, just shotgun names at them until they take one. Randomly, right, yeah, whatever. Just... <laughs> hey. <laughs> I hope it's not like planets. It'll wind up being the Xenosaur. <laughs> the Tardosaur. <laughs> oh, are they naming them after sci-fi and fiction stuff now? Or the last planet oh, yeah. they discovered? Yeah, it was actually named Xena. Oh, what's uh, what was Xena's friend? Uh... Gabrielle. Okay, is that Gabrielle, has that one been yeah. used yet? Gabriellosaur. Yeah, it works. <laughs> Gabrielletrix. Don't the I, why do I think that the flying dinosaurs ended with Ix at the end? I don't know. They were all Dons, weren't they? Man, I don't know. I don't even I know they were Italian. Ones with the big heads. I thought Ix were all like the fishy ones. Well, those were the Ixiosaurs, but I thought like Birdoraptics or something. Man, I don't know. I'm not a dinosaur scientist. Okay. <laughs> Clearly, we are not paleontologists. <laughs> Clearly, we should not be naming creatures right, right. or planets. <laughs> the Pipposaur. I vote for Shaunosaur. Oh, <laughs> Me too. Good. I like that. Beautiful. Has we'll, a we'll, nice ring to it. We'll back you on that one if it comes to voting. Awesome. Um, And uh, we advise our listeners for true dinosaur information to watch Jurassic Park. That's where we get ours. <laughs> Very authentic. Brian, uh, how about you, man? Why don't you round out the news? Uh, speaking of large lizards that eat humans, um, human DNA has been found in a significant portion of hot dogs Yum. produced in the United States. Mm, that nice. sounds great. Like fingernails and stuff? Or what do they know? DNA? I mean, I don't think they, they know specifically, but don't eat hot dogs. They're filthy. Uh, I mean, that should not surprise anyone. Right. The the article actually says human DNA among that of other primates has been <laughs> uh, gross. All right. I will avoid hot dogs. And all the more reason to be in Orlando. Um, Amazon Prime same day delivery will soon be available oh, man. in that like greater area, not not just that one city. Sweet. That's a cool service, man. They had that active when I was out in Seattle. And when I was in line at PAX, somebody had something delivered to the line. Like it was. <laughs> That's awesome. It was really cool. What a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be a dick to do that. You kind of are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? I could use a big bottle of water right now while everyone else is dying of thirst in line. It was probably Mountain Dew and Doritos, let's be honest. But, you know. <laughs> I'm really tired. I need something to pick me right up. Code Red! <laughs> That's awesome, though. I'm jealous. I hope we get that here soon. It's it's really cool. Lastly, I, I really... I, I have no idea in, until I read this what REI sells, but, you know, it, it's retail. Geeks buy things. REI is a camping, going outdoors retailer. Yep. They are closing on Black Friday this year. You will not be able to enter their stores. And I am a huge fan of that. 
Yeah, that's good, man. Let the people uh, have a day off after Thanksgiving, right? Uh, they're they're tying it in too. They're like, look, why don't you, you know, go camping or something? <laughs> Buy stuff on Saturday. It'll still be there. As a uh, as a member of REI, because I bought the twenty dollars membership when I was up there in Seattle, I approve. I approve strongly of this. Anything to diminish Black Friday, I approve of. Yeah. <laughs> go to go to a theme park on Black Friday, like me. I mean, do what stupid people do. Don't go shopping. And any anybody does everybody agree with Brian's sentiments on this that maybe some businesses should uh, close on Black Friday? It's like is it? But is it like the biggest shopping day of the year when they all like? But that's why they call it Black Friday. It's your your balance sheet goes black, right? I don't know if that's true anymore. That that is the tradition, but with everything else they do and now they're having like pop-up black fridays every month and i don't know it just seems like they've saturated it so much i would like to think that they've realized that black friday is now a turnoff when you can just go to cyber monday instead yeah you say that but people still show up at like wednesday afternoon to get in line for black friday so it's not a turnoff to everybody yeah i mean i don't have a huge problem with black friday i mean look if you want to be an idiot and go waste your friday on you know running through herds of people and getting knocked over and you know and, getting shot for yeah, an xbox exactly and engaging in all that mess and hey you know have at it i'll be at home eating leftovers you know in my underwear but like if you, <laughs> I, I, what i sort of object to is being open on thanksgiving i mean at least one day a year come on let's like you know just chill out i don't know i think that's going a little too far people camping out on wednesday thursday and stores be even being open on thursday having the pre-black friday sales yeah that's 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 too much yeah come to disney with me guys it's great it's like the best thing to do on black friday unless you work there <laughs> that sucks yeah, yeah. Kind of, it's kind of hypocritical of me to say workers should have the day off and then make workers work <laughs> oh whatever i give up can't win right Mm-mm. any other news nope all right, we're done with news. Great. We brought all of the latest, greatest news, which will be heard next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, with the news now wrapped, I think we can transition to tonight's episode. And Chris, as you were kind enough to uh, invite Shauna to the show and get us this excellent guest, I think I will let you sort of lead the discussion from here on, and I will interrupt rudely when I have questions or comments. The subject tonight is basically cross-industry endeavors. It seems like these days that someone who's creative, who's getting into uh, being a fiction writer or a comic book writer or doing stuff in video games is no longer siloed into that industry for the rest of their life. We have guys and ladies here who now can go into all, all sorts of these different industries and back and forth. Uh, Shauna's a great example. That's why she's here. Uh, some other examples is Robin D. Laws, who was an RPG writer who also wrote for Iron Man, the comic. Um, Shane Hensley, who has been bouncing back and forth between video games and RPGs for forever. Let's see here. Kevin Smith, who, of course, went from movies to comics briefly back to movies. And another one would be Mike Pondsmith, who did uh, the classic Cyberpunk 2020 RPG, and then went on to Microsoft to help develop video games for them. If you don't mind, Shauna, you can just kind of tell us what your background is. Sure. Um, you know, I, I kind of started working cross-pollination because I got 
bored. <laughs> um, so when I first started as a writer, I was a poet, and then I moved into short fiction, uh, and then I moved into newspaper journalism, and then into magazine journalism, and I was sort of doing all those things at the same time. Um, and part of it is because each each one sort of informs and grows me as a writer. Um, and then I moved pretty heavily into erotica for a while. And was still doing all of those other things, which of course is something that people tell you you can't do, that if you're going to move fields like that, at least in, this was 2000, probably 2000, and people were telling, you know, saying if you're going to move fields like that, if you're going to write erotica and literary fiction, you have to have a pseudonym and um, and I just sort of, as, as I often do, is sort of like, fuck that. Not, <laughs> I don't have to do anything. Um, and then I, uh, then I moved into sci-fi and horror and then moved into game design and, um, you know, various other things and have just sort of refused to give up any of the things that I love, uh, despite sort of what the market used to say. And I think the marketing has changed. Now it's a benefit to be cross-pollinating, whereas before it was really kind of frowned upon. How, how did that evolve? How is that going and, and where is it going to go to for the future? Yeah, I think I think it's becoming, um, well, for one thing, for the creators, it's a it's a much better way to make a living, I think. It, you know, speaking from my own experience and people that I've talked to, because when you can work in lots of different fields, you know, some fields grow while others fall. You know, comic books sometimes fall fallow and sometimes they come back. And so if you have your fingers in a lot of different pots, I think it helps create a more sustainable long-term career, which is, of course is really important for a creative person. Um, and it makes us better, right? So it allows us to to learn things from the other genres that we're working in and the other things. Um, and of course, it allows cross-pollination on the end game where, you know, someone like the, the first person that comes to mind that's doing a fantastic job with this is Chuck Wendig, who writes fiction and works on comics and works on games, uh, has worked on scripts, um, has done some nonfiction books about writing. And, you know, when someone says, oh, he's worked on this thing, he, they're now talking to all their fans, all of his fans in the other genres that he's worked in. And so, you know, and Patrick Rothfuss is, is very similar, right? He's done fiction and comic books and he's working on a video game. And so when you say to all his video game fans, you know, oh, Patrick is also a novelist, then he suddenly increases his, his readership, to, you know, many fold. And so I think it's kind of a, a win-win situation for everybody involved. Yeah. And I've also seen a difference too. It used to be writer who writes video games it's got to be like another coder in a corner that just it didn't seem like the writers were getting any sort of props somebody's cousin <laughs> yeah exactly and it seems like now that writers are getting more props for the work they're doing in video games i think that's true if you look at you know true detective is an interesting example where that was a writer of fiction who who many people didn't know before the the first series came out and so you know and then suddenly people were talking about him as a writer of fiction as well as a writer of the series and so i think that you're right that the, the this cross pollination is definitely put it, pushing the writer's name more to the top of the list than it has been in the past love true detective Oh, there's another exa uh, close example, The Wire. That was a journalist who jumped into the TV business. Right, and did so very, very well. The, the, you know, The Wire won all kinds of awards and is very smart. And, and you see, I think, how that kind of cross-pollination can have a real benefit. Yeah, I, as a journalist myself, I can remember uh, times people would come up to me and they go, you've been doing this all your life. You've lived here all your life. And I'd be like, no, I, I just moved into town six months ago. And they would be like, then how do you know so much about what's going on? I'm like, I'm a reporter. This is my job. <laughs> right. Somebody would come up and they'd ask me a question. It was like, let's play trivia about the town we're in. Or someone on the street would ask. Of course, it didn't hurt that a lot of these places were small towns. So after six months, you 
there wasn't much more to really know, <laughs> to be honest. Mm. It's one of the reasons why being here in South Florida has always been kind of cool for me because no matter what you do, there's always some crazy hidden corner of of something, who knows what, a bit of trivia or a new place you've never seen before. And you could be here for years for that. I have a question, actually, if you don't mind, Chris. No, go ahead. Jump in. Chuck Wendig's pivot point was obviously this podcast when he came on and uh, was then tapped to uh, <laughs> engage in the Star Wars. <laughs> but uh, for a creator kind of looking to pivot and, and move in another direction, does it help to present your work in what is apparently a different field or is that uh, an impediment? In other words, are are there still some people with the old mindset like, oh, you, you work in this field, you wouldn't be suitable for this one? Or, or are people, as you sort of mentioned earlier, a little more open-minded and understanding now that a creative person can be creative in multiple capacities? Well, I think it just probably, you know, so much does, it depends on the person. I'm sure that there are people who are still out there sort of old school style. Um, and you know, it was something that we, that we had some conversations about it at Monty Cook Games when I started writing a kids game because I'm very open about the fact that I have written and published a ton of erotica and now I was working on a game for kids. And so we had a lot of those conversations. And in the end, we basically decided that if somebody, it was old school enough to find issue with that, then we don't want to work with them anyway. And, you know, that's one of the powers of things like Kickstarter is that we get to say, you know what, if you don't want to back us, don't back us. And if you love what we do, back us. And so we, as creators, have a lot more power to start opening those doors for ourselves than we ever had in the past. And so, yeah, I'm sure that there are still people out there who find that sort of cross-pollination uncomfortable or they're worried about it. Um, but I think the really smart, forward-looking people are more likely to say, you've done this thing and you've succeeded in this thing. And I have faith that you can grow into this other thing um, as a writer, as a creator. And so, you know, you're going to bring all the skills that you had to that thing and we're going to teach you the elements of this, or you're going to learn them and and then we're going to go forward. And so I think that there's, there's a lot of opportunity and I, I, I don't, I haven't seen a lot of naysayers, um, but that doesn't mean that they're not out there. Uh, interesting. Okay, cool. Please resume. I just had to get that question in. I was just thinking myself that, you know, some industries actually kind of by their nature, you have to do more than one project at a time from what I understand are in the role-playing game business. If, even if you have a full-time job, you're still making ends meet doing other RPG gigs on the side. Seems to me like a lot of RPG folks are just used to being able to, you know, what's the difference between one more RPG project and then doing a novel or doing a video game or doing a comic book? That's interesting that you say side gig. Shauna, do you consider yourself to have a uh, a day job or a main focus versus having, you know, do you have a main creative plank or do you consider yourself sort of just general? Uh, well, I've always had sort of one main creative plank and that's changed over the years. And right now as co-owner of Monty Cook Games, that is definitely what I can sort of consider to be my day job, right? Because in addition to creating games, um, I am also running the company. Sure, so okay. <laughs> that is, that is sort of day job and a half. Um, but I also, you know, I am, I am, fiction is also where my heart is. And so, um, you know, I feel like it's a matter of, of sort of, giving everything equal heart, like not everything gets equal time, but everything gets equal heart, right? Because I want everything that I make to be the best that it can. And so if I think about them as sort of side endeavors, I find myself giving less. And so I try to think of, you know, MCG is sort of my, is sort of my foundation. Um, and then all the other stuff I do is kind of, uh, I'm going to mix my metaphors here. It's sort of the cake icing, right? Sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, and so, um, you know, I never want to do too many projects that I, so many projects that I stop really giving my whole heart to things or get so burnt out. Um, and so for me, cross, cross pollination keeps that burnout to a real low point, right? Cause if I start to get bored, it shows in my writing, it shows in my storytelling, you know, it's, it doesn't have quite the passion that I would like it to have. I don't actually know if they answered your question. No, no, it, it kind of did. Um, I, I should, it should have been obvious that obviously um, MCG would be your, your primary focus just because of the obligation you have there. But um, I guess if I could ask it slightly differently, sure. absent, absent your prominent position within that organization, do you, do you think you would folk, be focused most on game design? Do you like that the best or would you oh, do 25% for things? I, <laughs> you know, I often say that I have kind of a five year, um, a, a sort of a five year, I don't know what that is, um, five years that I, I give something my whole heart and passion and learn everything I can and, and stay really excited about it. And then I, if I don't, if I don't fall out of love with that point, then I keep doing it. Um, and so, you know, I am, I am year, I think three and a half of being a game designer and I super love it. Um, but you know, I have a year and a half to go <laughs> before I can really know. Um, no, I'm, I'm sort of kidding, but I think that I would, um, I think I would do probably like in my ideal world, I would do 50% game design and 50% fiction. Um, because I love both of those things and they're very, very different, but they kind of feed and inform each other. Um, and in fact, game design plays to my strengths more than fiction does. Um, but fiction is, is a challenge that I really, uh, kind of love to sink my teeth into, um, even though it's, it's harder for me. Does the structure appeal to you more or, or the fact, or the fact that you're sort of creating structure in terms of, uh, the way a game is designed? Is, is that what it is you think? Or I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it, it, the feedback on game design is really different than the feedback from readers. Like, you know, if a hundred people read my newest book or short story, you might hear from one reader that you really touched. Um, but mostly it's kind of quiet except for Amazon reviews. But if a hundred people play something that I wrote on the game side, like they tell me, right. I see, they send me pictures. They, they tell me uh... about it. They come to conventions. And so there's a really different repertoire with my with, with sort of the fans on the gaming side and fans on the reading side. And actually a lot, there's a lot of crossover for me. Like I'm often surprised at how often people come up to me at gaming conventions and know me from my fiction. And that's, that's really awesome, right? Cause they're doing kind of both. Um, but I think you have a different relationship with, with your, with gamers. And, and I really love that, right? I love creating something and then watching them bring it to the table and seeing what kind of amazing things that they do with it. That's that, that for me is, is very, um, I just love that moment a lot. And you don't really get that with fiction. I mean, you touch people and I love that too. Um, but, but it's a, it's slightly different. Yeah, I could see that, but maybe interaction versus consumption, say, would that be one way to put it maybe, or? Well, I think, I think that fiction doesn't ask the reader to then go forth and create their own thing. And I think game does, gaming does, right? So you, you put this thing out there and you say, all right, now you make the story gamer. And then the gamer makes the story. And there's something really satisfying about watching that happen. Um, and, and watching, you know, people's create, you're, you're sparking their creativity. You're giving them the tools to make something awesome. And this has been particularly true of me watching kids play the game that we just did for, for families because, you know, I consider myself to be pretty creative. And then you watch five, eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds around the table playing this game. And I'm like, holy crap, <laughs> I've never had an original thought in my whole life. 
Um, and there's something that's just so rewarding about watching people um, find themselves in gaming, however that happens, right? Whether that's their personality or their role-playing, you know, goals or their, their just their creativity. I mean, I don't know. There's it, That is a u- really unique space. And you don't get it with video games as much and you don't get it with reading um, or movies or anything like that. And there seems to be a level of ownership that uh, gamers seem to have on their games compared to like books and characters sometimes. Yeah, that, I hadn't thought of that. I think that that can be true. Um, you know, I mean, there are definitely characters and books that people get super, super, you know, <laughs> uh, about, right? And so if you kill someone off, they're going to come after you. But but I do think that, that there's a different ownership in games because of the fact that they are creating part of it, right? It is their creation. Um, and I'm a big fan, like I'm a big consumer. Like I like to watch movies, I like to read books. I like, I like having, you know, stuff thrown at me all the time. Um, but as a maker, I also like the fact that making games encourages people to also be makers. So they're not passive consumers only. Passive versus active, I think sums it up very nicely. So, so in a perfect world, most everybody would be hitting the table doing an RPG once a week, right? <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think some people, you know, I I would never say what other people should be doing with their time and passion. But, you know, I mean, I'm all for trying new things. And I think if people haven't tried them, then um, why not try it and just see? You might hate it. You might love it. You know, I didn't, I actually went away from from tabletop for a long time and and became an MMO player um, because I was just having, it was having trouble getting people around a table, which I think sort of happens when we, we become adults, right? We're, we're no longer have the proximity of people. And so, you know, and, and some people are really shy, like I'm super shy. And so MMOs were a better place for me to sort of disseminate my personality um, as someone who is super shy than at the table where I sometimes really struggled. So I don't know. I think, I think that being a passive consumer, it, it's not a bad thing, right? Some pe- for some people, that is, that is the perfect place for them to be. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, but for me as a, as a creator, I find that the active, the, the act of sharing the making of things is, is very valuable to me. One crossover I've noticed recently is Max Gladstone, who's been nominated for awards for his great Craft World series, um, is now getting into interactive storytelling. Uh, and doing an interactive kind of choose your own adventure. Have you tried any of that stuff before? Or is that, uh, you've been thinking about that? You know, it's funny. We I've been talking about that in another context because um, for me, I grew up on those, the very original sort of choose your own adventure books, right? And they, they were super simplified and you kind of flipped through. And, um, and I, I, I'm obsessed with them because they were such a, for me as a young person, they were the first understanding, one of the first understandings that I had that somebody was actually creating these stories that I was reading, right? Like that, that an author was a person and that maybe I could be that person. And I, I don't think I understood that until the sort of choose your own adventure stuff. And so I've always had kind of a, a thing for them. And so I like watching how people are bringing those back. And, you know, media right now and and electronics I mean they have such a great opportunity to create choose your own adventure stuff in a really cool and unique way I mean remember um oh, I'm gonna totally flub the name because I always do but the the game where you would it was like the electronic game but it wasn't really you sat around the table and you read okay you see a tree and you see a path and then it, the person at the table has to say go left do you, have you guys played that do you know what I'm talking about at all Okay. No, it's a good thing, believe me. So it's it's a so it's 
so it's a great game, but it's based on the old sort of muds or, you know, other games where you had to say, ah, enter cave. And then, you know, in, in the computer, when you said enter cave, but if you didn't spell it right, they would say command not found, right? And so, but this is a tabletop version of that where that one person sort of plays the computer. And so if you don't say enter the cave it, correctly, the computer, the person says, you know, command not found. And so, you know, that's a really interesting way in which you, you are basically choosing your own venture that started as a book, then became a computer game, then became a tabletop game. And now they're moving back into the electronic field. And I find that progression super fascinating. Um, I haven't done anything with it personally, but it's one of those things that's sort of always percolated as like, all right, what, you know, how am I going to do this? What, what's the thing that's going to get me into this? And, um, I don't know. I'm kind of still waiting for that thing. So I try to keep my eye on it. I definitely played Transylvania on my Apple II computer back in the day where you had to, you know, go left, go right, go to the cave. So I remember those games, but I don't remember that uh, tabletop sort of version of it. But I was just going to say, you know, in most of these campaign games, I mean, any of them, Elder Scrolls, Fallout, whatever, whatever you're talking about, it essentially is a choose your own adventure because you're like, you know, what you do and how you act affects the dialogue you know it affects the it affects the how the world reacts to you uh you know how you're viewed your your you know your evilness or your goodness or whatever it is um so i, I think it's a, it's a pretty cool translation already that we've seen just you know over the years um from those books which were also were a huge favorite of mine um and i'm glad it's sort of also now you know getting back to its roots a little more as well yeah, it's interesting to watch that because, right, one of the problems with those early choose your own adventure books was that there weren't very many choices. And so, like, you know, if you were like me and you were sort of a voracious reader, you read through all the choices pretty quickly. Right. Um, and, and often early computer games felt like that because there just wasn't the opportunity to build more choices in, right? You had two choices and often the choices that you made didn't matter. They didn't have long lasting impacts. But now, of course, we're seeing games where those choices have huge impacts, mm -hmm. you know, like, particularly this sort of in-depth RPGs, you know, things like Witcher or, you know, things where you um, just sort of, you know, that whatever choice you're making is going to have a huge impact and you have no idea yeah. what, what that's going to be. And if you don't save constantly, you're going to get stuck having to run through it again to figure out what the hell would have happened if you, if you went true. the other way. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask Shauna, um, you know, what do you, what do you see as the um, impetus for this, I'll call it sort of, generalist mentality these days you know it, it used to be you were a game designer or you were this or you were that you know and that's what you were and now it's sort of everyone's a jack of all trades and master of none um what do you think is the impetus for that do you think it's it's be driven by technology do you think it's driven by the market or do you think it's just driven by a general sense that hey it's you know uh, you have to be diverse in this ever-changing uh, world. And so, you know, it's better to have a, a lot of, you know, a lot of different feathers in your cap, basically. I think it's all of those plus a couple of things. So I definitely think it's all the things that you touched on kind of converging together. I also think that the, the, the sort of the gatekeepers going away is big, right? Whether that's Kickstarter or, you know, any of the other crowdfunding campaigns or just connecting directly with your readers or your, right? We are, we are, we are taking away the people who would have said no to amazing things. I mean, I was just talking about this with someone about Hannibal and Brian Fuller and like whether or not someone would have said yes to his super dark 
Hannibal 10 years ago. And, you know, of course we don't know, but, but we're also getting, so we're getting less gatekeepers. And then the gatekeepers that we do have are people who are creative, who came up through this sort of creative space and are more likely to take risks. And so I think that that's definitely a part of it. And then I think the part of it is perhaps an, I'm sort of talking off the cuff here, so this might not be true, but right, we are, I shouldn't say we, cause I, so I'm, I'm in my mid forties, so that's my generation, but my generation is a generation that has sort of been like, we're not doing the nine to five, screw that. We're going to make, you know, we were taught, at least I was to follow a career, follow a passion, do what I loved and I could make money at it. Like that was sort of what my hippie parents kind of instilled in me from, from kind of the get go, which they kind of now regret, but well, you know, you, if you had to be a very hardworking special little snowflake, right. That was the whole, um, and I think we bought it sort of hook, line and sinker and, and, and it worked, right. Like I have never, I mean, that's not true. Since I was in my early 20s, I've not had what most people would call a real job, right? I haven't gone to an office because I'm bad with bosses and I'm bad with offices and I don't like to get dressed. <laughs> and so, and I was like, all right, well, here are the things that I don't like. So uh, how can I make a career doing something else? Um, and so I think that there's a lot of this, just this realization that, you know, we aren't willing to sort of do the nine to five thing. We aren't willing to give up our passion Um and and I think you see that in a lot of people who sort of started there and kind of scrapped scrapped a living together for a long, long time. And, and that's finally sort of becoming the quote overnight success that you see, right, which is just really just 25 years worth of work behind that, mm-hmm. uh, getting him to that place. So I think, you know, I think I don't know what the generation behind, you know, a couple generations behind me, I don't know how that's going. Like, are they, you know, are they still in that space where they don't have to get a nine to five job? Will they, will they go back to more traditional stuff? I don't actually know. Interesting. I'm the same way. I, I work from home as well. And, you know, I, I, I did go to an office for a long time and, um, you know, it's just not for me. And, and so I'm, uh, I'm very curious also, like as to what the next generation is going to do, because I see that even more so in terms of, well, why do I have to go to an office? And, and not only that, but they are, they're getting squeezed out of those jobs as well. You know, lawyers coming out of law school, right. Right, yeah, lawyers coming out of law school right now are making like $35,000 a year. Yikes. Average, what? which, which is ridiculous. Yeah. It's like 35 to 40,000 is the average starting salary. Uh, I mean, you know, you've got plenty that are making, you know, six figures, but you know, on, on, on the whole, if you didn't graduate from like a top 25 university, you know, university, you're, you're done. So. It's like, well, now all of these traditional, you know, models uh, that our parents held so, de- you know, dearly to are, are sort of gotten knocked down in our generation are now almost completely gone uh, for their generation. So they have their work cut out for them, I think. Yeah, I think I think a lack of faith that, you know, if we work forever and then get to retire and then somebody helps us with, with our financial status upon retiring, I, d- I, d- I think that there are a lot of us who are like, you know, I don't actually buy into that. Oh, so I should probably just make my own <laughs> yeah, way. Definitely. Um, and you know, I mean, it's not for everyone, right? Like working at home, following your passion, those are hard things. It's hard to stay on the path that you create and it's hard to make a living at it. And you have to, you know, you have to make you have to give up things, right? You're not, you're not going to be able to, that, and that's not true for everyone, but you like, you have to decide what your priorities are, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what you're willing to sort of give up for your passions and vice versa. And I don't know, I think a lot of people do that equation and they come up with the fact that living a passionate life, um, is better than living a monetarily rich life. And if you live passionately long enough, then you have 
both, right? I mean, that's the sort of dream ideal, right. which is getting a little bit away from cross-pollination, but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, no, I, mean, I, think it, I think it definitely plays into it because if, you know, if you want to be one of these sort of jack of all trades, that's maybe a, a decision you're going to have to make because it's really hard to cross-pollinate when you're punching a clock every day, you know, and the, um, you know, we talk about this all the time. It's, it's one thing if you want to, you know, be a slacker or, 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 and you, you, you touched on it. You have to be, it's a, if you want to be your special little snowflake, that's cool. But if you want to be a successful one, you still have to work hard. And I think that sort of gets lost in the mix. You know, if you want to sit home and play MMOs all day, that's fine. That's cool. But then don't expect to get the new iPhone every time it comes out or drive a, you know, a really nice car or whatever. And I think it sort of translates to what you were saying. If you want to live a passionate life, that's fine, but you're going to have to, you know, quote unquote, sort of pay your dues probably for a little while until you can, you know, step up to the, you know, I guess, higher status in terms economics wise. I sure am glad that my passion is to be a corporate plotter for most of my life. <laughs> man, that is just really paying off. It makes me wonder if, if actually part of this also is an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, for example, you're co-owner of a company. I, I think that urge of being an entrepreneur and being able to take risks and look at alternatives and, and decide what you can do is part of what plays into wanting to be a cross-pollination person. You got to take that risk and make that jump. Yeah, I think playing it safe doesn't work for that because you're every time you cross-pollinate, every time you take a, a leap, right? You're it's a huge risk. You're putting yourselves out there, and and there are people who desperately want you to fail because whatever for whatever number of reasons, right? There's always pe there are always people who hope you fail in that endeavor, whether that's because they're not willing to take the risk or they want a job or they're just kind of grumpy people because we know they exist. And so, you know, you are really putting yourself out there. And, and if you're not willing to do that, then I think it's very difficult um, to try it. You have to have, like, I used to be a paramedic when I was in college. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was that you have, when as a paramedic, you have to have this huge ego and this crushing humility, right? Because you have to believe that you can save all these people. And then you have to have this sort of ego that, it's, you know, this sort of combination where if somebody dies, you can, your ego can survive it, right? So there's this really interesting sort of mix. And I feel that way about being a creative person. I have to have a huge ego and this huge amount of humility so that I can find that happy balance in there of taking big risks and not being crushed when I fail. Cause, you know, we, we all fail and, and I will continue to fail for the rest of my life. I can't, how many times have they said, like in business, that part of success is failure, right? Yeah, and science and, right, I mean, Everything, some yeah. of the, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, we, there's a weird cultural thing, right, where you're not supposed to be a failure and yet, right, we learn way more from failure than we ever do from success, or I, I do anyway. I mean, you know, you look at anyone, I mean, Henry Ford, I mean, Einstein, Edison, they all failed, you know, you don't hear about their failures, you just hear about their successes, but, you know, it's all about perseverance. Yeah, in fact, I think... um part of that whole overnight success story myth and things. There's something called the survivor basis where everybody thinks that people in the past just had their act more together because we only hear about the success stories and we don't hear about the failures as much. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Especially for people like in the art world or in the literature world where it seems like anybody who is less than a hundred years old is, is an idiot and can't do art. But anyone, you know, three generations back was a genius because they're the ones that are sitting on the shelf today. What is it? Uh, Mark Twain, one of his first books was The Gilded Age, and he did it with a partner. 
And uh, at the time, his partner was the more famous guy. And now we don't even know who this dude is. We just, you know, he's on the cover next to Mark Twain. <laughs> I wasn't even aware of that, to be truthful. No, actually, yeah. The uh, In the reviews, they kept saying that his partner obviously was the talented fellow who did the much better passages. Well, Sean's been a good sport as we have just peppered her with dozens of questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's great. It's it's easier to answer a question than it is to sort of just talk off the cuff extemporaneously. So questions are good. Well, it's time for uh, off the cuff. I was going to pretend we had a segment named off the cuff something, but then I totally <laughs> couldn't think of a quirky name. So we don't have any such. Now I know why you don't have that segment. Right, right. <laughs> At no point during the show do we ask you to talk off the cuff for a half hour, so <laughs> joke aborted. <laughs> I think at this point it's safe to uh, give you the floor, though, if there's anything in the way of projects or efforts you would like to promote or discuss. Well, I was just thinking about the cross-pollination part and, and what I am working on currently, which is sort of a, a perfect example of cross-pollination. So I just finished a kid's RPG uh, called No Thank You Evil, and that'll be out early next year. I am working on an underwater uh, supplement for Numenera, which is a, a, sci a science fantasy game set a billion years in the future. Uh, I am doing a science fantasy novel and um, two pieces of short fiction that are um, – one is very sexy and one is very dark and death-like. Sex and death are kind of my themes – um, and I am also working on a sort of short piece for another RPG about uh, zombies in the 1950s. <laughs> and, um, and I'm helping out with the Torment uh, video game. So those are the kinds of cross-pollination things that are currently on my plate, um, in addition to my usual editing, running the company kind of stuff as well, which takes a totally different part of my brain. Sounds like a lot of cross-pollination for sure. <laughs> no question yes <laughs> cool well guys uh anything else before we uh allow shauna to get back to her the fifteen thousand things it sounds like she's juggling <laughs> i'd hate to see her to-do list that must be uh, <laughs> yeah no pretty long. it's really awful actually i try not to look at it <laughs> <laughs> just hope it'll go away yes i yeah hope someone else will come and take it away from me. <laughs> It only becomes a to-do when your eyes make contact with it, right? Exactly. Oh, it's is like that a, how it's it like works? a weeping angel. It's time lock. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Don't look. You know, I have I have one more question that got inspired by that. Just how do you partition your day to get that stuff done? In doing this for as long as I have, I have learned what my best times of day are for specific tasks, and so I am a morning writer. Um, because I am dysfunctional in the morning, so dysfunctional that talking to other human beings is a very bad idea <laughs> and even trying to write emails, but like getting lost in, in a world of my own creation is really, is very good for me in the mornings. And so mornings are given over to writing as often as possible. Um, then afternoons are often sort of meeting and, and email and business times. And then in the evenings, I, t so I, I have a treadmill desk, which is where I play video games so that I don't <laughs> only play video games with my whole life. <laughs> um, and so in the evenings, I often get on the treadmill desk and do video games slash sort of editing um, kind of together. I know that sounds like a weird mix, but I'll play a video game for a while and then edit for a while. And then, um, so I kind of divide it by what my brain is best at. And, and I try to pay a lot of attention because it's ever changing. Like there was a time last year when like afternoons were the only time I could write. And so I sort of rearranged my schedule to make that happen. Um, but it, you know, it's sort of that work smarter 
kind of philosophy of, of really capitalizing on the time when my brain is in the right space to do the right thing. I'm still blown away that there's such a thing called a treadmill desk. I've never even heard of that before. That's amazing. Could probably lower my health insurance premiums by getting one. I, I may, I may, I might need one. Well, I mean, two of the things I probably hate the most in the world, but I mean, it just sounds genius to put them together. <laughs> it is, it allows me to, um, play games without guilt because sometimes like when I'm, I play too much games, I feel like, oh, I should move more. Oh, I should be working. And so, you know, I will only play like an hour of a game at a time because then I'm tired and I don't, you know, I don't want to walk anymore. And so I'll actually get off the treadmill and go do something productive. And so it's just sort of a weird um, kind of way for me because, you know, writing is a very sedentary job and I don't move as much as I would like. And so it kind of combines and nothing else will get me on the treadmill. Like I, I can't watch things. I, can't, I don't want to work when I'm on the treadmill unless I have to. Like, I, you know, gaming is kind of the only thing that will get me to, to get up on there. So it kind of works. Very cool. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how you can get that controller in your hand and not trip over yourself. I mean, that kudos there, right there. Well, I will say that when I, I so I used to run a guild in EverQuest. Wow. Um, or, yeah, very, very long time ago. <laughs> Actually, EQ2 was when I ran the guild. Um, and my guildmate's favorite thing to do is to make me laugh so hard that I would fall off the treadmill. So <laughs> that was, that is how I said that. Those are my training wheels. <laughs> and I have, I have progressed to less. Uh, less funny and nicer guildmates since then in various games. So, so I'm pretty safe. You've progressed to less uh, rigorous and torturous games than EverQuest. <laughs> yes. Also, I was known for not being able to jump over things in EverQuest because, uh, first of all, I'm bad at that stuff. And then second of all, being on the treadmill and laughing while trying to jump over things was just ridiculous. <laughs> so <laughs> I've learned my limits. Brian, can you imagine the sheer number of steps we... Uh, would have taken by now if we'd been using treadmill desks for all the years we were playing MMOs. I think I would be lower level. <laughs> <laughs> Very possible. I think, guys, that is a wrap. One last opportunity for final words, observations, jokes, wisecracks, offensive remarks. I didn't know we could do all those things. Oh, yeah, that's all wide open. We'll have to prep you for next time you're on. <laughs> so. um, thanks, thanks for having me, you guys. This has been great. I, uh, really great questions and, and lots of, um, things I had to think about before I answered, which is always a good sign of an interview for me. Awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You were a great interviewee. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I totally concur. Thanks for being on. And, uh, I promise much thought went into our questions. They weren't just tumbling out of our <laughs> mouth as we thought. About them. <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I have a list. I have a list. <laughs> I, I use Chris's list. No, <laughs> seriously, Shauna, thanks for being on. It's been a true pleasure and uh, we look forward to hearing more from you. And if you'd ever like to come back on, you are more than welcome. The door will always be open. Here, here. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was great. I so, I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Shauna. Good night. Good night. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Another excellent episode. Another excellent guest in Shauna. Chris, good score. Thank you for getting her to come on. That was, that was cool. Thank you very much. And uh, I will remind our listeners that we have excellent guests on quite frequently. And even when we don't, we are good hosts. At least we like to think so. And our episodes are usually bearable. So uh, if you like what you heard and you're looking to hear more, we highly encourage you to check us out on iTunes and uh, Stitcher. And hopefully we'll be available in other outlets soon. Uh, namely, what was it? Google Music, Brian, that we're looking into? Yep. Cool. 
Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, add us to your Google circle, and join the Nerd Stravaganza HQ group on Facebook. We all know that this podcast is germane to your daily life, so head on over to our website, nerdstravaganza.com, and check out this and all of our back episodes. Uh, sha-na-na-na-na your way on over to YouTube and check out all of our video content by typing Nerdstravaganza into the handy-dandy search bar, and pollinate us with an email at nerdstravaganza at gmail.com. And with all that said, Chris, take us away. The to-do lists. I can't look at them anymore. The to-do lists. Ah! <laughs> Don't blink. Yes. I wanted to do like a funny voice after that, but nothing came to mind. All right, cool. Well, I'm Shonasaur. <laughs> 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 right.